BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump orders John Kelly to fall on his sword again. And sadly, Kelly does so. What do you say, everybody? It is a Friday. Oh, boy. Friday, October 20. Great to see you today. Here we are, the Bill Press Show, ready to go, live from our nation's capital, but right there alongside of you everywhere you are in this great country of ours, whether you're listening or watching. We'll bring you up to date on all the news of the day. I mean, Donald Trump's been tweeting all night long, I think, uh, yeah, about uh, various uh, various uh, issues. Uh, the uh, Senate passing its budget last night, a uh, budget resolution, which uh, enables it to do uh, tax cuts for the rich with only 50 votes. That's why you see so many smiles among Republicans this morning. Uh, John Kelly, yes, chief of staff, being dispatched once again to the briefing room yesterday uh, to clean up the mess Korea, that mess made by his boss uh, earlier in the week. Uh, and uh, the general, uh, the defense secretary, finally, finally saying something about what the hell our forces were doing on Niger in the first place. And an extraordinary event yesterday when two former presidents both come out and condemn, without naming him, the policies of Donald Trump, George W. Bush and Barack Obama, both speaking out yesterday. And we want you to speak out on what you think about the news of the day. Send us your calls or send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. We jump right into it. But first, this is the detour here. Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of the stories making news, Bill. I'm very sorry to say your team in the baseball playoffs. Uh, no, uh, my Cubbies. Your Cubs have yeah. been eliminated. The LA Dodgers last night showed up in a big way. They won. Decisive game five, 11 to one is the final score. 11. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, not close. Uh, so the Dodgers are going to the World Series. That's it. Who are they going to face? It'll either be the Houston Astros or the New York Yankees. The Yankees have a series lead three games to two in that series, so we will find out. Who the Dodgers will play? It's a shame, Bill. You got to jump off that bandwagon again. I don't know who's band. Well, there's no doubt. It's always know. next year. You can get right back on Dodgers. You're I'll back Dodgers. on the Dodgers. Ba- oh, oh, you're on the Dodgers bandwagon now. Yeah, not yet. yeah. Oh, okay. he'll, he'll, yeah. It, he'll always find a way. To- 
to find a team. I, I used to be a big Dodgers fan when I was in L.A. You know, sure, no, a I lot get of that. Dodgers game. I yeah. get that. Chavez, uh, Chavez Ravine. We go to great Tommy, Tommy Lasorda. Knew him well. Oh yeah, oh. right. Still around, right? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. But he's no longer. Uh, no, he's no longer coaching manager. or anything. Right. Managing, signing cards. Yeah. Uh, we go to Great Britain, where there's a company known as Thriva. Thriva, they are the world's first preventative health service uh, that allows people to conduct blood tests at home. So basically, you get it, you do a little pinprick on your finger, and you could do blood tests at home. Right? Really? Yeah, that's how they do it over there. Yeah, but I thought you've been able to do that. Well, but... there's a. Well, th- th- this is Great Britain, but there's a company that that is okay. like a new company that allows right. you to do it at home, and they got a new mm-hmm. spokesperson. His name is Art Smith. He is known all across Great Britain, I'm not making this up, for having the smallest penis in Great Britain. <laughs> how, do, how do people know? Well, he proudly goes out there and talks about it. But how do people know? Well, he, he talks about it. He says. But he doesn't know. Well, I, I, I'm not yeah, sure. What Bill's saying is there could be someone out there that there has could, a There could be someone out there You'd with a smaller one. have to line up one. every male in I, the UK. I guess that's true. And measure them. Do you regret reading this story yet, Peter? Not yet, because why would they, this company, this blood testing company, hire this guy? Size does not matter. Well, they have a slogan, and the slogan is, there's nothing wrong with a little prick. <laughs> really? I'm not kidding. That's their slogan, and he's out there saying it because you just prick your finger and you get your blood test. Wait, what's the size though? Just what is, what is it? Uh, he is four inches when fully aroused. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's small. <laughs> Is the Bill Press Show. Hey, hey, what do you say on a Friday? Yes, indeed, Friday, October 20. Hello, everybody. Welcome uh, to the Bill Press Show. Oh, what a day. What a sad performance at the White House yesterday when Donald Trump says to General Kelly, you, General, go out there and fall on your sword again for me and clean up the mess I made. And General Kelly says, aye, aye, sir. Yes, you're my commander in chief. I'll go out and make a fool of myself again. So sad. Well, that's just one of the stories we're covering today. Good to see you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Great to see you on Free Speech TV. Welcome, welcome to the program. Coast to coast, we're with you uh, on radio and on television and in the greater Chicago area in the morning this morning for the pathetic Performance last night. The Cubs are out. They are down and out. In sorry, the, WCPT. Sorry, all of our friends at WCPT, all of our good friends in Chicago. But uh, last night, the Cubs uh, didn't look too good. Eleven to one. They are world. They are still world champs until for another yeah. two or three weeks. Yeah, right? exactly. To a couple of weeks. Yeah. Enjoy it while you can. But it looks like it's going to be. It certainly will be the Dodgers versus. Looks like the Yankees, but we'll see. Yeah, we got that, that could go either way. It could go either. way. I mean, look, if yeah. the Astros win, uh, I, I think I guess it's tonight. Uh, then it's just you know essentially a one game playoff, do or die. Yeah, so Crazy. lots and lots and lots going on. Yes, the top stories uh, we have find out that uh, boy, one thing we one one thing this whole flap 
over uh, Donald Trump's phone call to Maisha Johnson, the widow of Sergeant LaDeva Johnson, killed in Niger. One of the things uh, that it served a purpose of uh, informing all of us that uh, we're in, at war in Africa. We didn't know that. We know of in Iraq, Afghanistan, but also Africa has all kind of come to light over this. Uh, it's one of our top stories today. John Kelly, of course, as we mentioned, in the briefing room uh, yesterday, attacking Congresswoman Frederica Wilson and defending uh, President Trump. And uh, out talking yesterday, George Bush and Barack Obama, both very, very um, pointed speeches criticizing the policies of George W. Bush. And the director of the CIA says that uh, our intelligence agencies all agree that the Russian hacking did not in any way influence the outcome of the 2016 election, oh, great. which is flatly not true. All 17 intelligence agencies said uh, there was hacking. They did not conclude whether or not it uh, effectively threw the election to Donald Trump or not. They did not go there. Mike Pompeo, head of the CIA, having to backtrack that statement. So where do we go? Where do we start? We start with John Kelly, chief of staff, the second time in two weeks. He has been dispatched. You see what's happening. He's the only person at the White House who has any credibility. So whenever Donald Trump gets in a mess now, he sends John Kelly out to bail him uh, out. Pretty pathetic. It's really fascinating to watch sort of the machine inside the Trump administration's head. Yeah. Yeah. Because he I think they understand that nobody in there has any credibility. No. no nobody. No. Right. And I think John Kelly is the one person that they've he, been able to point to this whole time that right. would say like, well this guy's got way, a pretty stellar record. By the way, I would say after yesterday he has doesn't have much credibility himself. But the first time was a couple of weeks ago when he came out and said, No, 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 I'm not gonna be fired. <laughs> Unless things change, I'm here to stay. Da, da, da. I mean, which is really, really a sad performance. Uh, and yesterday he came out. First of all, he says, look, uh, and we know, again, we've talked about it so much, Donald Trump really stepping into it Monday by uh, accusing all other presidents of failing to make phone calls to Gold Star families, families of um, American service men and women killed in combat, uh, killed in battle, killed in the line of duty. And, of course, that is simply not true. Um, They may not have called every single person, every single family, but neither has Donald Trump. But they did reach out, and all of them pointed that out, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Bill Clinton. And then he followed that up the next morning with this very cold, insensitive phone call uh, to Maisha Johnson down in Miami, a call that was on speakerphone, in a limousine overheard by everybody who was in the limousine. Uh, John Kelly comes out, first of all, yesterday and says, well, uh, the president made pardon me, phone calls to every one of those four families. He called four families. He called four people the other day and expressed his condolences in the best way that he could. And he said to me, yeah, that says a lot. what do I say? Uh, I said to him, sir, there's nothing you can do to lighten the burden on these families. Uh, in the best way he could. That is. Yeah. That says so much. Yeah. In other words, basically, Kelly confirmed that Trump said exactly what Frederica says he said. Certainly, certainly, 
neither he nor Sarah Huckabee Sanders deny that Trump said he must he knew what he was getting in for when he signed up, but it still hurts. It's very right. They it, didn't. They don't deny. That's what no. it said. Sarah Huckabee Sanders danced around a little bit more, but but John Kelly straight up said, or didn't deny. This is a conversation that happened, yeah. and we we have more to hear from him. But I mean, it completely contradicts what Donald Trump had said. Yeah, Donald completely. Trump said, Donald, Donald Trump completely says I did not say it. Sarah Huckabee Sanders didn't say that. She danced around it, and John Kelly. Uh, I did not deny it either yesterday. So then Kelly, this is what was really sad, I thought. Then Kelly turns it turns it into an attack, joining Donald Trump, joining Sarah Huckabee Sanders, swallowing the Kool-Aid here, and repeating the Republican line, the White House line, that it's that wacky, Donald Trump called her, congresswoman from Florida who started this fight. I was stunned. Oh, give me a break. When I came to work yesterday morning and brokenhearted. Oh, get out. <laughs> at what I saw a member of Congress doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A member of Congress who listened in on a phone call from the President of the United States to a young wife. The phone call, again, was on speakerphone in a limousine. Uh, a military officer was holding the phone so that everybody in the car could hear it. She wasn't eavesdropping. She wasn't wiretapping. She wasn't doing anything illegal. She heard the call, and she heard what Donald Trump said. Come on, General Kelly. By the way, you should be ashamed of yourself. Donald Trump was tweeting all night long, uh, and at 11 o'clock last night, he tweeted, the fake news is going crazy with wacky Congresswoman Wilson, parentheses D, who was secretly on a very personal call and gave a total lie on content. Yep. Yeah. So, like the the image that they're trying to paint here is yeah. that she was somehow eavesdropping or wiretapping yeah. yeah. into right. this. Yeah. And it's yeah. just no. It's no. just not true. It's not true. And General Kelly repeated that and and and, and played part of it yesterday. So uh, I think it's very important. We have to understand what's going on here at the White House. And this isn't the first time. This is what they do. Okay. Donald Trump, this goofball, goes out there and says something or does something outrageous that they cannot defend, and then they flip it and they turn it into an attack against something else, thereby totally changing the subject and getting us off on some tangent. This has happened three times recently, okay? In Charlottesville, right? Here you got skinheads, neo-Nazis, KKK, white supremacists marching, and Donald Trump says there's some very fine people among those KKK members. And everybody erupts in outrage. And then they turn it into, look at these people on the left who are against the First Amendment. They're against free speech. They don't think Americans have a right to protest. No, that's not what it's all about at all. It's that most of us don't. We've, we've crossed that bridge a long time ago in denouncing anti-Semitism and total racism in the KKK in this country. We don't want to go back there and fight those battles all over again. So that was one thing. The second thing is he stands up and he has the same MO. He stands up and he calls NFL players, 70% of whom are African-American, sons of bitches. This is the president of the United States calling these players sons of bitches. They can't defend that. And so they, they with John Kelly's help, they turn that 
into, oh, look at these people on the left. They don't support the flag. They don't support our country. They don't support the military. And then we get off on this tangent, okay? Now they're doing the very same thing. He makes that incredible, personal tells that incredible lie that no other president had called any gold star families. And then he insults and, and breaks the heart of this poor widow. They can't defend that. So now they turn it into accusing this congresswoman of listening in on a phone call that she should never have heard. You see what they do? They, they twist all of these and get off on this other subject and shame on John Kelly for being part of that game. This is this it's is disgusting. Trump's true talent. This is Trump's true talent. This is what he's good Absolutely. at. Absolutely. This is we're watching it happen in real time. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, No, let's let's go. Let's not we can do it. don't go don't stay here. Let's go on, on the attack. Yeah. Let's go on the attack. Let's yeah. go on the attack. Don't focus on the actual issue. Make a totally different one. Right. But meanwhile, um it uh uh it, it as I as I mentioned, one thing that's come out is people are suddenly asking, wait a minute, these guys were killed. Where? Doing what? And yes, in fact, they are in Niger. Uh, and we now know that uh, um, you know, it happened. I don't even remember when it happened. But President Obama sent 100 special forces there in 2013. As of now, there are 800 there. We are also in, we're, we're not only in Niger, I want to know how many of you knew this. I never knew it. We are we have forces in Niger, Cameroon, the Central African Republic, Uganda, South Sudan, and Yemen. We have 400, 300 troops in Cameroon, 800 in Niger, four, 300 in Cameroon, at least 410 in the Democratic Republic of, Republic of the Congo. Uh, so there's this whole other war going on. Now, allegedly, we are there. By the way, did Congress declare war in Niger or the Cameroon I don't remember or that. Yemen? I no. don't remember that. But if American forces are in combat zones, if they are in military operations, according to the Constitution, they're supposed to be there by a vote of Congress. They are not. Uh, General Mattis, Secretary of Defense, yesterday said, um, so the reality of the situation is these guys are in harm's way. It's a reality. It's part of the danger that our troops face in these counter-terrorist campaigns. But remember, we do these kinds of missions by, with, and through allies. Uh, it is often dangerous. We recognize that. So supposedly they're there to help other the armed forces of these countries build up to fight uh, terrorists ISIS or al-Qaeda, who may have infiltrated those countries, again, uh, General Mattis saying this is their job. We have troops on the ground. Their job uh, is to help the people in the region learn how to defend themselves. We call it foreign internal defense training. And we actually do these kinds of missions by, with, and through our allies. Uh, as we were talking earlier, this is... Um, this is very similar to a situation that happened, I think, in January, very early in the Trump administration, where there was a raid in Yemen where an American soldier was killed, um, a raid that um, had been proposed under the Obama administration, and they pulled back because they weren't quite ready, and Donald Trump said, no, let's do it, uh, and um, it turned out to be a disaster uh, as well. 
uh, raising lots of questions about, again, the expansion uh, and and the, 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 the just the further deployment of U.S. troops without any act of Congress, without any debate in Congress about whether we ought to be there. So, you know, not it's not just the big wars that we know about. Iraq still going on in a certain to a certain level. Afghanistan in a big way. Syria in a big way. In addition to that, we were in all those other countries uh, in North Africa that I mentioned. And yes, yesterday, a couple of former presidents opening up. It was, uh, let's start with President Obama, who said he was going to stay on the sidelines unless he saw America's core values being threatened. Uh, yesterday, he went up to uh, New Jersey. Uh, he's in Virginia for Ralph um, Northam. Uh, first, he went up to New Jersey, stumping on behalf of Phil Murphy, who will be the next governor of New Jersey, saying, you know, without referencing Donald Trump, um, that what we heard in Charlottesville and beyond, um, we thought we'd got rid of this kind of politics a long time ago. Some of the politics we see now, we, we thought we put that to bed. <laughs> it is, as President Obama said, the politics of division. What we can't have is the same old politics of division that we have seen so many times before, the dates back centuries. You know, I just wish it's good to hear his voice again. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's while. been a while, man. What yeah. a throwback. He looked good. He sounded good. And his message was absolutely right on. I just wish that both he and George Bush had mentioned Donald Trump's name. I know. You know, it's like earlier this week, John McCain gave a very fair speech that echoes what Bush and Obama said yesterday about, you know, we have, um, we're losing our edge as a world leader because of the kind of politics and the nativism and the, uh, uh, I forget the phrase that John, Donald Trump used, but not true nationalism. It's a perverted kind of nationalism back to the old America first days. Uh, and John McCain, a very strong speech, but again, did not mention, come on, let's just be flat out. I mean, if, if, if there's something wrong with American politics and American po policy today, it's Donald Trump. Yeah. There's nobody else to blame. There's nobody else who's doing it. Uh, the, uh, sadly, most of the Republicans are just cowed down and not saying anything, but then those who speak out are afraid to use his name. Why? So it was George W. Bush also uh, in New York yesterday at the George W. Bush Institute uh, who had some strong things to say about the kind of bigotry and racism we see out of this White House. Bigotry seems emboldened. Our politics seems more vulnerable to conspiracy theories and outright fabrication. And, President Bush said, it's one thing to love your country, uh, it's another thing uh, to, um, uh, to endorse, if you will, all the bad things that this country has ever done. He puts it, the difference between nationalism and nativism. We've seen nationalism distorted into nativism. We've forgotten the dynamism that immigration has always brought to America. And if he wasn't talking about Donald Trump here, I don't know who he was talking about when he talk, mentions white supremacists. Bigotry or white supremacy in any form is blasphemy against the American creed. You know, I, for one, would just like to say I am very impressed that in addition to painting, 
George W. Bush has been studying the dictionary. He learned some new words, man. No, I was going to say, it it doesn't sound like George W. Bush. That is not the George W. Bush I know. No. Uh, Somebody wrote that speech. Uh, I think he knew what those all those words meant. Blasphemy. But spell it. But here, here's here's the uh, here's the problem I've got with, uh, and I appreciate the fact that he spoke out, and I agree with his sentiments. But again, why didn't he call a spade a spade? I mean, you know, come on, why didn't he say Donald Trump is leading this country in a very dangerous direction, at home and around the world, and we are. I mean, people don't know what to th- don't know what to think about the United States anymore. This leadership that we have, you know, exercised since World War II, and everybody looking up to the United States in so many areas and building so many strong alliances, cultural alliances, political alliances, military alliances are all in jeopardy now. Trade deals. All uh, and the global international, you know, cooperation all in jeopardy right now because of this wacky, if I can use his word, uh, Donald Trump. But the other thing wrong with what George W. Bush said is, and the, I thought the Huffington Post had a great headline this morning: uh, George W. Bush complains about the mess he helped make. Yeah, and let's go back to that. Don't let these Republicans say there's us and there's Donald Trump. No, it's their policies over the years. George Bush's invasion of Iraq did as much to undermine the credibility of the United States and to turn the American people uh, kind of against our own government as anything else. I mean, so these over the years, these policies of coddling the Tea Party, going along with the Tea Party, letting the Tea Party um, block anything that uh, Barack Obama wanted for eight years— all of that led up to the mess that we've got today, to Donald Trump. So, you know, yeah, yeah, um, it, we're, we're, we're in a bad state today, but damn it, you are responsible yeah. for what, 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 for creating the kind of environment that led a Donald Trump win. You, you know, we talked about this a little bit on the call yesterday, but like <clears throat> there have been multiple Republicans that have come out and maybe not by name. But certainly, given the the impression that they're not happy with what Donald Trump is doing to the presidency, George W. Bush, Mitt Romney gave a big speech. John McCain has has mentioned it a couple of times, and I keep wondering, like, what is it going to take that's going to make this resonate with Republicans? And you know what? It, it just no. it's just not going to because they no. hate those guys. They don't like yeah. Romney. They don't like George W. Bush. They don't like John McCain. No, right. So for. Varying reasons, but like who in the Republican Party could actually come out and say, like, our party deserves better than Donald Trump? There isn't one. Yeah, but there's nobody. Let me tell you, they better they better come out soon because otherwise it's going to be it's going to be too late. A couple of comments on our social media channels. Yep. We'll begin on Twitter. We're on Twitter at BP Show. Susan, our good friend Susan Shepard, says the congresswoman was in the car as a family friend and mentor of the dead soldier. Why shouldn't she have listened? Kelly's statement was insane and ill-informed. Of course. Uh, thank you, Susan. Absolutely yeah. right. Going back to where we started the show. wasn't doing anything wrong. As I said yesterday, she's known the family forever. She was the school principal when this guy's father was in elementary school. Yeah. That's right. how far back they go. 
Uh, comments on George W. Bush's speech yesterday in New York from the YouTube chat room, youtube.com backslash the Bill Press Show. Supervillain says, I'll take Trump's last couple of months over eight years of Bush. <laughs> so keep those comments I don't coming know in. Go that far, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> keep those comments coming in on Twitter at BP Show on YouTube, YouTube.com backslash the Bill Press Show. Yeah. Uh, one more thing on Donald Trump yesterday. You know, we know the governor of Puerto Rico uh, was in the White House, and uh, we're doing such a great job in Puerto Rico. Eighty percent, eighty percent of the island is still without electricity. Uh, but mm. uh, ask Donald Trump. How good a job we did? Oh, man. Well, let's see, Donald Trump, uh, on a scale of uh, uh, 1 out of 10, 10 being best? I'd say it was a 10. <laughs> I'd say it was probably the most difficult um, when you talk about relief, when you talk about search, when you talk about all of the different levels, uh, and even when you talk about lives <laughs> saved. Oh, God. But the state out. of their economy, a 1. <laughs> yeah, right. 10 out He's of 10. delusional. He's delusional. I mean, have you ever heard a president talk about like, well, well, we, 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 you know, we wanted to do a better job, but it was just really, really hard. Yeah. No. It was a temp- Well, you know, because it's an island. Like, you know, it's like, an island surrounded by water. Lots of water. Like when George like W. Bush ocean. got stuck with like, the Iraq it's a stuff. Big ocean. <laughs> like when George W. Bush was, was was in Iraq dealing <laughs> with that, he never said like, well, Iraq is really far away, and we're having a really, really hard time dealing with that. You know, or Barack Obama, whatever. Pro- like with the Yemen or the, or the excuse me, the Syria problems that Barack Obama had, he never said like, well, it's really, really tough. It's really far away. It's hard to deal with. So pathetic. Uh, back here on the uh, Senate front, uh, two things yesterday that uh, we wanted to be sure you knew about, bring you up to date on. Uh, the um, repair bill, if you will, uh, Alexander um, Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray, Republican Lamar Alexander, Democrat Patty Murray. Uh, Donald Trump, we still don't know whether he supports it or not. He's all over the place on it. But uh, yesterday, they, they uh, Murray and Alexander announced they now have 12 Democrats and 12 Republicans who are co-sponsors of that legislation. So it has picked up some steam. If only Mitch McConnell would bring it up to a vote, they can probably get that thing passed through the Senate. Uh, Meanwhile, the Senate did pass yesterday um, its budget resolution by a vote of 51 to 49, uh, which enables... Here's the tricky part of that, right? This enables them to get to the next issue they want to get to, which let's stop calling it tax reform with nothing but tax cuts, mm. tax cuts. We haven't seen the bill yet. There's no, there is no bill yet. All we've seen is an outline or what they call a framework, and that framework directs tax cuts to the wealthiest of Americans on the tired old phony theory that if you give the wealthiest of Americans yet another tax break, It'll all trickle down to you and me, to the middle class. It has never happened, and it never will. But there's no doubt that what the Republicans' plan, the Republican strategy is, first is to pass this budget resolution under which, under the rules, they, they will be able to pass a tax cut bill with only 50 votes, and then Mike Pence will break the tie. So they want to try to do with tax cuts the same thing that they tried to do with repeal of Obamacare, meaning cut the Democrats entirely out of it, not even ask for any Democratic votes. They don't need, they're not going to seek, they don't want any Democratic votes. 
they've 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 rigged the system so they can get it through with only 50 votes. Mitch McConnell, yes, last night after this uh, budget resolution passed 51 to 49, uh, Mitch McConnell let the cat out of the bag. Tonight we completed the first step toward replacing our broken tax code by passing a comprehensive, fiscally responsible budget that will help put the federal government on a path to balance. Uh, yeah, sounds nice. What's that, what he's saying is we took the first step toward giving the wealthiest of Americans another tax cut. That is your Senate and your tax dollars at work. Priorities. Priorities. Where does Donald Trump get all the information that he tweets about? Well, what the hell? He's watching Fox News. Matt Gertz joins us from Media Matters for America to tell us all about the Fox empire coming up next on The Bill Press Show. Blasphemy, nativism, dynamism. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, on this Friday, October 20. Good to be with you today. Thank you so much for joining us as part of The Bill Press Show as we boom out to you live coast to coast from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., we're brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers, those good men and women of the Iron Workers, under President Eric Dean, building our communities today, ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. Indeed, uh, and we check uh, check out their website at ironworkers.org. Yep, uh, President Trump uh, tweeting his, you know, just so busy this morning, all night long almost hasn't yeah. stopped tweeting. Uh, and uh, we find out that uh, many of his tweets seem to be in direct response to what he's watching on cable TV, namely on Fox News and particularly in the morning on Fox and Friends. Matt Gertz from the Media Matters, a senior fellow at the Media, Media Matters for America, joins us in studio. Good to see you again, Matt. Good to see you, too. Thanks for having me. So he watches and tweets, right? Watches and tweets, I mean. Yeah, I mean, this has been sort of a practice for a while, but one that I've noticed in a little bit more detail the last few weeks. You know, he has these <laughs> early morning tweets, or he's doing one right now, uh, where, you know, he'll get up at around six th- at around 6.30 or 7, he'll start tweeting, and he'll tweet for the next couple of hours. Um, Even earlier today. Some, yeah, earlier today, yeah, and I, I yeah. haven't really... I haven't uh, gone back and checked this one, but for uh, for the last two days and then again uh, once uh, last (laughs) week, I noticed that I was able to match up almost perfectly the tweets that he was giving with uh, Fox and Friends coverage uh, that morning. Um, Let's give you one example, okay, Uh, Jamie? This is um, a tweet. No, actually, he said this yesterday to reporters, but repeating a tweet he had made earlier in the day. The big story is uranium and how Russia got 20% of our uranium. And it, frankly, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. And it's a disgrace that the fake news won't cover. <coughs> it's so sad. Now, what the hell is that? Yeah, so this is a reference to the sort of uh, longtime conservative uh, claim that 
uh, this uh, big deal involving uh, ura- a, a U.S. uranium uh, being uh, taken over by a, a Russian company was sort of masterminded by Hillary Clinton and, and Bill Clinton in exchange for uh, funds for the Clinton Foundation. Uh, it was uh, a claim that was made by uh, Peter Schweitzer in the book Clinton Cash back during the uh, campaign. Uh, it came up several times during the campaign. There's sort of a, a new article And all um, of this happened when this. she was Secretary of State. Yeah, right. it happened when she was Secretary of State. Uh, <laughs> it, the uh, sort of sale of the company had to be approved by a government body on which a representative of the Secretary of State sits, also representatives of like eight other uh, government agencies. So it's not like she had some sort of excessive control over this. At and least, also- At least eight, I thought was even more. I, mean, I, think, I think it's yeah. a total of nine. Um, but in any case, uh, the, the sort of representative has said that he never had any contact with Hillary Clinton about it. Like the, it's it's one of those things where uh, you sort of need to string together the facts with a certain amount of bad faith in order to come up with the conclusion that you want for political purposes. Um, but so this has sort of started uh, coming back up, and, and it came up but yesterday. It, I mean, it's an old old story. Yes, right? it's it's that, an old. It was on the front that, page of the New York Times in like. May of 2015. This right. is not a new I mean, story. that was investigated at the time and was debunked or at least explained at the time, right? Yes. And there's and some new details so that have Fox, come out about some of it, but nothing that really cuts against so the Fox underlying and claims. keeps bringing yes. it back? Yes. And they brought it back uh, uh, <coughs> yesterday, and, and there were several segments about that, and I was able to sort of uh, string together uh, those segments with Trump's tweets. It's kind of tricky because I know... This is going to sound really weird, but the president of the United States records these shows yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, like on, on a TiVo box, and he'll start from the beginning of the broadcast whenever he starts watching, rather than, you know, you just turn on, like the way cable news works is it repeats itself so much that you're able to turn it on at any time and sort of get the news update for whatever is happening. Uh, but he starts from the beginning, so it's surprisingly difficult to figure out what exactly he's referring to because he could be referring to anything that had happened on that show before the time at which he tweets. And it also takes a ridiculous amount of time to actually write the tweets and publish them, um, as I think the Washington Post showed. Uh, when you look at uh, when he does those two-part tweets, um, there's often like seven minutes of time between them, which suggests that he's actually taking a lot of time thinking through what he's saying, which is also frightening. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- this was a case where uh, he was literally tweeting about what happened on, on Fox Friends. There was another tweet that he did yesterday um, involving uh, Fusion GPS, which is the company that produced the uh, sort of infamous Trump dossier involving uh, yes, ties right. between him and Russia that was produced by <laughs> a former British intelligence uh, agent. Uh, and Fox and Friends did a segment where uh, Andrew Napolitano basically accused the FBI of having funded that dossier, uh, which is not true and comes completely out of nowhere. Um, but then Trump, about an hour after that segment happened, tweeted uh, d- tweeted about that, basically saying, oh, yeah, the, it was the FBI. Did, 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 did the FBI fund this dossier against me? Um, so it's the president of the United States accusing the FBI of having, like, conducted intelligence aid uh, op- operations against him while he was running for president. This is all of undermine the credibility of the FBI as this uh, independent counsel probe continues. Uh, you know, it's the sort of thing that undermines Comey. Um, okay, I think you buried the lead sure. here, which is that Andrew Napolitano is still on Fox News. Yes, yeah, well, there's right, that too. Right. I mean, and that that's something I, I pointed out in my piece. This is sort of the second time that we've seen 
uh, the White House. He was suspended for, yes. for saying what? I forget now. Uh, he was suspended. So what happened was uh, he accused a British intelligence service of <laughs> having spied on Donald Trump on behalf of uh, President Obama during the transition. Uh, and then Sean Spicer from the White House briefing room podium basically was reading a series of right, articles and read right, that right, uh, in order right. to like bolster the president's claim that yeah. Obama had spied on him. Uh, and um, from there, it was just it was a huge international incident. The British spy agency, which never does this, basically came out in public and said, this is bullshit. Um, it, it was <laughs> like, it, you know, there was sort of calls back and forth between uh uh, McMaster and the British Intelligence Service, um, questions of whether or not that was an apology. It's not really clear, but it was a total disaster. And because of that, Napolitano got suspended for two weeks. It was yeah. a big problem for yeah. um, it yeah. was a big problem for Murdoch, too, because he's still trying to buy the Sky News Agency, exactly. uh, right. which is a 14 billion euro deal that he's trying to pull off. And the government over there is not really pleased with uh, him running a news agency that is accusing the British intelligence service falsely of spying on U.S. Uh, president-elect. So, uh, but yeah, you're. I mean, he's still on. He's still making these claims, yeah. and Trump yeah. is listening to them <laughs> and then channeling them to the world. So um, here's a question that, that uh, I, uh, that, uh, what I'm curious about: the fact that Fox and Friends would dredge this story back up. And put it out there. Okay. It's one of two things. Either there's a producer at Fox and Friends who really is interested in this story and is, is kind of keeps pushing it. Or it's somebody in the Trump White House who is contacting Fox and Friends and saying, You know, come on, you gotta do another story on this. Keep this alive. We gotta keep this thing going. I mean, I can't believe look, I'm in I'm from the T V world, right? I mean and I, I know so many of these shows and these producers, I'm on a lot of these shows, not on Fox, but on other networks. These producers are not out there. I, I find it hard to believe that it's the producers who are, who are coming up with all these stories. Well, this is actually, uh, this is something that Sean Hannity has been running with basically constantly for the last several months. Um, it's one of his long, uh, you know, the, uh, yeah. he, he is very deeply... Well, Hannity's a different story. I mean, sure. Hannity is a... Right. But it's the sort of thing where Hannity will do it agenda. and then the, the morning show will pick it up. And it. That's yeah. just that. sort of the pathway. Right. Right. But, I mean, this is all part of Sean Hannity's sort of long-term effort but, to undermine the Russia investigation. Way, yeah, where's I mean, The idea is the, the the sort of the way they frame this is Hillary Clinton colluded with the Russians. Right. That's that's the sort sure. of sure. bad where's faith Han framework. Where's Hannity getting his ideas? From Trump himself. Yeah, we know, I mean, uh, we know that Trump, Trump and Hannity like talk every night. Right? He, uh, so appara sure apparently, Hannity was responsible for the uh, Pelosi Schumer Trump DACA deal for going down. He basically called up Trump and said, "You can't." According to a report from the LA Times, he basically right. called him up and said, "You you need to get more out of this. Uh, you right. can't just like give right. you can't just give this away." And so the White House, after that, produced like a long series of demands that cannot possibly be met by Democrats, and so that sort of blew up the deal. But yeah, Sean Hannity is making policy. Sean Hannity is an advisor to the president of the United States and has a Fox News TV show. Right. And, you know, I'm sure they're talking about things. They get in these conversations, and Hannity will do a story, or Trump will talk about it based on... Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they Fox rile News. each other up constantly about this sort of thing, because they both have the same sort of uh, sense that uh, Trump is under attack from the media and needs to find a way to basically break them... Um, that's, you know, yesterday it was really a partnership. No, it's absolutely. And, and like 
Fox News, for whatever they are and whatever we know them to be, like they are very good at communicating to their audience, right? So like it's really interesting to me to watch yesterday uh, Congresswoman Frederica Wilson, who we now know overheard the president give that sort of insensitive remark to the widow of a fallen soldier. She was on MSNBC, she was on CNN, and I saw the Chiron on Fox News yesterday was, Rep. Wilson has repeatedly voted against veterans' rights or bills to help veterans. And really starting to sort of turn this into a, oh, the problem isn't the president, the problem is this congresswoman. And then you saw that start to roll out. Donald Trump tweeted about it yesterday morning. John Kelly came out and talked about it yesterday at the press briefing. Donald Trump tweeted about it again last night. Yeah, I mean, we're 16 miles from where this story yeah, started, yes, which is four yes. American soldiers dying in Niger. Like, uh, that's that's where all this began, and now we're 12 miles. We're, we're very but, far away from the original but, point. The point I made earlier this morning, they are very good at that, right? I mean, um, Donald Trump calls NFL players sons of bitches, yeah. and then whew, they're able to twist it. So pretty soon we're talking about the flag yeah. and the military— and all of that, right? Right now, here, you know, he he accuses former presidents of never making any calls to families mm-hmm. of, of fallen soldiers, and then uh, makes this hugely insensitive comment to the widow of this one fallen soldier, and they've twisted that now into the wacky congresswoman who, right, who was eavesdropping on a call. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the the long-term public relations strategy that they've been using, which is don't bother to defend your indefensible positions. Just move down the road and attack on some other front and you'll right. just st- stir up some new shit. And by the way, now it is also, and let's use John Kelly, the only person who has a little bit of credibility left in this White House to be the one to deliver that message. Yeah. And Kelly is willing to salute his commander-in-chief and go out and fall on the sword um, yet again. So you mentioned Hannity. What is up with a new prime time lineup? Let's get away from Fox boy, and Friends oh in the morning. To yep. the prime time lineup on uh, uh, on Fox. Uh, so the new addition is Laura Ingram. When she start or has she? She starts uh, but it's a week from Monday, so oh, the 30th. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, uh, she, she is the sort of new uh, the Do new host on the network. people know that she used to have a show on MSNBC that bombed terribly? I, mean, I, I think people probably don't know that, actually. MSNBC has gone through so many different... Uh, I think people don't remember the sort of pre-MSNBC's liberal phase of the network. I, uh, uh, I, I mentioned that fact to a friend uh, who's pretty high up at Fox News last night. Uh-huh. And he had no idea. That show lasted like a week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no idea. What a disaster! I mean, Alan was. Keyes was making sense for longer than that show was on the air. <laughs> but yeah, let's, let's remember he had a show on MSNBC right. too, and so did she. Michael Savage, if I recall correctly, had a show on MSNBC. Uh, that didn't last long either. Uh, well, that's that because one. he said that yeah. Yeah, people. Yeah, he told right. the caller to get AIDS and die. Yeah. So that that's frowned yeah. upon in polite society. Uh, yeah. So back to so she rounds out the primetime lineup, right? She does. Uh, she is, uh, slides into the uh, 10 p.m. slot. <laughs> Hannity moved uh, back to 9 p.m. Uh, this all was sort of started because Eric Bowling's show had to be canceled because he was sexually harassing other people at Fox News. And so they moved the five from a primetime lineup that, that sort of 
bizarre panel show back to 5 p.m. Um, and so, yeah, she's she's stepping into the breach. She's a longtime uh, uh, radio host, a conservative uh, talk radio host, uh, and has been uh, in the Fox News family's contributor for quite some time and, and doing uh, sort of guest hosting duties for uh, right. O'Reilly and Hannity from time to time as well. Um, you know, she's interesting and, and sort of a, a little bit of a different flavor for the network because she is much more interested in the sort of uh, machinations of the Republican Party and what its composition will be and who will be in charge of it than the other hosts are. You know, Tucker Carlson doesn't. I mean, she, she gets into supporting candidates. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Earlier, uh, earlier this week on Tuesday night, she did uh, a uh, fundraiser for Kelly Ward, who's the uh, uh, sort of conservative challenger to Jeff Flake in Arizona. Um, she was joined by Steve Bannon at, at, at that event. I'm sure it raised a good amount of money for the candidate. Did she support Roy Moore? Uh, yes, she did support Roy Moore. Uh, Hannity did too. He, Hannity sort of dabbles in, in primaries, but doesn't really get involved. Oh, no, Ingram she, will go out and she no, will. She's big time. She, yeah, in that. she yeah. does events. She does fundraisers. And she's been. I mean, she, look, she's a she's a Trump toady too. But but she's been into. She's expressed some criticism of of Trump and. And some and establishment Republicans, uh, certainly establishment Republicans, yeah. uh, and a little bit of Trump from time to time that he's you know not not quite uh, pushing pure hard enough, enough or right. pure enough, or, but yeah. um, you know at the, at the end of the day she's still on board. Yeah. Yeah. But but she, uh, uh, as you say, because she's so involved, it's 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 sort of a different thing. Uh, it's adding something new to the table, uh, and it's something that I think should make uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell a little bit nervous. Because she now has a massive platform on Fox News that she can use on a daily basis to go after sitting Republican senators who have primary challengers. She can bring on uh, the challengers onto the show. She can sort of publicly yeah. endorse oh, them. Yeah. She can l oh, let yeah. them use the shows to raise money. Uh, this was something we saw a lot uh, in 2014 and 2010 from Fox News, but that was always with uh, sort of general election candidates. We haven't seen, uh, you know, a Fox News host target sitting Republican members before. And I think that that's what we'll get a lot of uh, on uh, Laura Ingram's show. Mm. Uh, she's very interested in it. Uh, she's very dedicated to it. And I think she'll probably pull Hannity along for some of that, too. It's also interesting, like, you know, she wanted to be the White House press secretary. Right, like this is a that's a job that, that she, would have been a disaster. Oh, it would have been a total disaster. But it's something that she wanted. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, to, to bring this yeah. all back to kind of where we started, right? Like, she'll be able to craft talking she, points for the White House. Mm -hmm. She, re we remember that she announced basically yeah. that she was the new press secretary. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Tucker had her on his show early on. Yeah. The day that she said she'd talk to Trump, and basically it was a done deal, you know, and. Uh, because I remember I, t I texted Tucker and said, great get. You got the new press secretary <laughs> on day one. Well, yeah. <laughs> if, on her side of the story, that she had the job. Nobody else Yeah, uh, but, but I mean, to but, be honest, I mean, Fox News is a much better gig than White House press secretary. Sure. Oh, yeah. You get paid a ton of money to do the same thing without actually having to deal with the reporters. It's, uh, uh, oh, yeah, it's a no. lot more fun, oh, I imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but overall, I mean, whatever you think of them, the former primetime lineup of Fox was a blockbuster in the in the ratings, and you know the 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 number one contributor to that, Bill O'Reilly, is gone. I mean, because of his own misdeeds. Uh, so when they reshuffle this lineup, 
Is it pulling the same numbers? Is it going to pull the same numbers? It's ho- it's been holding on pretty well. I mean, Has you're you're, complete, yeah. you're completely right. Uh, you know, Fox for a very long for about a decade, they were putting out the same lineup night after night. I mean, yeah. you had it was Shep. It was uh, it's a, from special report to Shep Smith to O'Reilly to Hannity and previously Hannity and Combs to Greta. Like that was that was the lineup for a decade. And then, uh, you know, you had Megyn Kelly move into that lineup for a few years. Uh, but, you know, from the time about a year ago, about a year, year and a half ago, um, they've totally shuffled the entire thing, except for Hannity. Hannity's the mm-hmm. only one who's still there mm-hmm. um, from uh, what they had during the uh, during the election uh, in the sort of primetime block. Uh, right. But they've ma- managed to hold ratings pretty well. Um, I, th- I think in some cases not quite as high, but um, pretty, pretty close. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's, that's sort of a testament to um, the audience that they have is just going to turn on Fox News and leave it on all day and leave it on into the night. And it doesn't really matter who comes and who goes. They're, they're going to still be there. Uh, you know, I, th- I think the sort of Megyn Kelly experiment at NBC well, shows that- Just to ask yeah, you about that. How's that going? It's a total disaster. It's a complete <laughs> flop for the network. Uh, they are, I mean- This is her morning show, the- Yeah, the morning the, show. I mean, the so first she had the sort of Sunday night news magazine show, and that was supposed to run 10 episodes, only ran eight episodes, got disastrous ratings, was losing to reruns of uh, America's Funniest Home Videos, <laughs> uh, broke no news, and was basically like, it was a total disaster. Oh, so that's gone, huh? It's gone. Uh, it, w- it was always supposed to go into hiatus. Yeah. It went into hiatus two months early. Uh, it's theoretically supposed to be coming back next year. I would not be shocked if it didn't come back, though. It's also it's a fairly cheap show. It doesn't really matter in the scheme of things. Um, I mean, the the big sort of sunk cost there is Megyn Kelly's contract, which is supposedly like eighteen million dollars a year, uh, and that yeah. that's a lot of money to shell out. And so uh, the bigger problem, though, as you say, is it, it's the morning show, which has seen just sort of disastrous ratings, like down you know twenty thirty percent year over year. Um, against uh, what Tamron Hall and Al Roker, who used to have that yeah, 9 a.m. Yeah, hour on the yeah. Today Show, uh, and uh, the show that it feeds, uh, which is Hoda and Kathy Giffords, um, is also also losing audience because the because, because Megan's yeah. yeah lead, the leading is so bad, uh, and you know there were a couple of sort of uh, kerfuffles the first week where she was basically insulting celebrity guests on air, and now there are rumors that celebrities don't want to go on the show anymore because they don't want to deal with her. The famous Jane Fonda moment. Yeah. yeah. Do we really need to talk about this right now after Megyn yeah. Kelly asked her about- Why don't you talk about all your plastic surgery? Yeah. yeah. It's just not- Yeah. It's not very polite. Uh, and for a sh- I mean, for a show like that, that that's kind of, you, you need to make the guests comfortable. That's like 90% of the job is you, you want the guests to be like happy and keep coming back and, and you know- she just do- she doesn't have the skill set to do this. Uh, the problem uh, for her is that um, she got exactly what she wanted, and it turns out that she doesn't have the skill set to carry it off. She she basically, you know, uh, she was very upfront that the reason she went to NBC is they basically gave her a blank check and said do whatever you want. And what she wanted to do was this news magazine show and this morning show, and she's just bad in both in both of them. I got to at the risk of uh, pissing off all of our listeners and viewers, I think she was. Good 
at the Fox show at night. That yeah. was her strength. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, she projects outrage better than almost anyone I've ever seen. She's remarkably yeah. good at it. She's yeah. incredibly talented Didn't agree at that. with her, but she delivered that message. She, she delivered she... the message very well. Um, you know, her confrontational interviews, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. were, were strong. Um, you know, I, I think this sort of... Uh, <laughs> she... Um, was able to take advantage of the sort of viral culture that we live in now, producing these like little uh, viral hits where she sort of takes on a conservative guest and you don't expect it. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it goes around the Internet and gets a lot of attention. And that she was sort of able to turn that into a lot of really uh, sparkling uh, profile pieces about her that, you know, clearly showed that no one had ever watched her show, but it just doesn't translate to NBC. The audience is not following her. It's a total disaster for the network. Well, next time you talk to anybody from NBC, tell them I could save them a lot of money. They don't have to pay me $18 million. <laughs> <laughs> I'd do it for a million. Yeah. Hey, Matt, it's great to see you. Thanks for all you, uh, the good work you do at Media Matters. MediaMatters.org. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks for all having right. me. Good stuff. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, Donald Trump tells uh, General John Kelly, jump. And like any good soldier, John Kelly says, how high, Mr. President? What do you say, everybody? Great to see you today on a Friday, October 20. It is the Bill Press Show. And we are coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, where the United States, uh, the Senate yesterday passed uh, a budget resolution uh, enabling it to push through more tax cuts for the wealthy by a vote of 51 to 49. And um, because of that, uh, they can ram through their tax cuts with only 50 votes in the United States Senate, just like they tried to ram through repeal of Obamacare. There's so much going on. We've got a lot to talk about this morning, and we'll bring you all the news of the day. Uh, and look forward to hearing from you. Send us your comments on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. Um, one thing, this this whole flap about um, the phone call of the president to the widow of Sergeant La David Johnson, who lost his life in Niger, is that we have a good deal of American troops that maybe we didn't know about in uh, Africa, various countries there. Brian Bender is a defense editor for Politico, who's here in studio with us this half hour to tell us all about it. Hey, Brian. Good, good to be back. Good, good to see you. you. Nice, to, nice to have you back, and we'll jump into all of that news of the day again with your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Big stories of the day. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of the stories making news. If you're up late tonight, look up. Uh Uh-oh. Look up. It is the 
Orionid Media Shower happening tonight. Now, they, they the just... What? Orionid. Oh, oh, Orionid. Okay. Uh, so what this is, is it's particles <laughs> from Halley's Comet that swing by Earth every 75 to 76 years. And so if you look up, you'll be able to see an actual meteor shower tonight. Now, it happens around 2 a.m. this evening, and it's going to happen until tomorrow when the sun comes up. But NASA's not going to be streaming this. You'll be able to stream it online if you if you want to watch it. Because they say if you live in a city, you're going to have a really, really hard time seeing it because of the light pollution. But if Why won't NASA stream it? I'm not sure. I don't know. But there are ways to stream it. If you just throw a Google on the Orionid Media Shower uh, live stream, there are places that you can stream it. But just look up. It starts around 2 a.m. tonight. So if you're out late, check it out. Uh, the end of an era as United Airlines has said that they are getting rid of the Boeing 747. It will no longer be flying for United Airlines. They say the last flight will take place November 7th. It will be its final operation. They're moving to more efficient models because apparently <laughs> airplane yeah. technology from a couple of years ago is not as good as we can get now. 1970 yeah. is when the 747 <laughs> yeah. hit. So, yeah, they they must consume a lot of lot of fuel. That's and- it. Yeah, and, and, they're, and they're, they're just very bad for the environment. I mean, planes that were built back then are just... Really, really well, bad. But boy, I remember the 747 was like the, that was the creme de la creme of airlines, right? And a lot of those they built back then are still flying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So that that's it. They're done. November 7th is going to be the last flight hmm. and they're retiring. Them. End of an era. And Bill, you just got a new- Ocean liners are going to be. You know. Yeah, right. <laughs> you just got a new car. Uh, we did. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. it come with a spare tire? Hopefully you haven't had to find out if you've like needed it yet. But Shit, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you. Maybe, <laughs> well, the, he's now going to get a flat tire. Yeah, now he's now he's definitely going to get a flat tire. I think so, but well, I really don't know. The National Auto Club notes that a third of new cars don't come with a spare tire. I didn't realize that. Like I, I just got a new car and it has a spare tire in it. I, I checked to make sure that it did. Here's a, here's a question: When's the last time you had a flat tire? Uh, it was last year. Oh, really? About a year ago. Yeah, I ran over a nail. And, and, and I mean, tire. I haven't had a flat tire or... I mean, that was going to get too. Did yeah, I? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the way it works. You're so screwed, man. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you do this story? <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Okay, what do you say on a Friday? How about it? Uh, yeah, you're as happy as we are. At the end of the week, it's finally rolled around here. It's Friday, October 20. Hello, everybody. It's the Bill Press Show, and great to see you today on this Friday. Beautiful day in Washington, D.C. Hope it is wherever you happen to be. We're here on Capitol Hill, uh, reaching out to you nationwide, all across this great land of ours on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here on Free Speech TV, we're looking at you there, and out in the Chicago area. Uh, on the great WCPT in Chicago, and uh, yeah, we're sorry about that game last night. We didn't even want to mention the score. Sorry, WCPT. Yeah, but uh, great effort, uh, just not good enough. Uh, didn't... They looked a lot better against the Nationals than they did against the Dodgers. Yeah. 
Okay. All right, Cubs, next year. And meanwhile, um, we are uh, with lots to talk about here. From our studio on Capitol Hill, Brian Bender is the defense editor for Politico. Join us. So, Brian, you know, kind of got lost in the shuffle about this flap about Congresswoman Frederica Wilson and the president and his call and John Kelly coming out last night. It's a lot of people are saying, wait a minute, these four Americans were killed. Where? Doing what? How long have we been in Niger and why are we there? Well, you know, this is a conflict, or actually really a series of conflicts, that the U.S. military has been uh, involved with, mostly advising some of these local governments, not just in Niger, but in Mali, which is uh, next door, uh, in the Central African Republic, in Nigeria, what they call the sort of the Lake Chad region. Cameroon. Or the Lake Chad Basin, uh-huh. which is sort of north-central Africa uh, a very, very large piece of territory. Just below Libya, I guess? Just below Libya and then a little bit to the west. And and also further south towards, like I said, the Central African Republic, yeah. even as mm-hmm. far down as Uganda. Um, but, you know, N- Niger is, is sort of the hotbed of some of this activity. And, and again, this is a training mission, a series of training missions helping these local governments beat back these Islamic militants. And there's a whole different bunch of these groups some are linked to Al Qaeda. Some are linked to the Islamic State now, or at least, if, you know, pledge their allegiance to it. Uh, there's Boko Haram, which is another more locally grown Islamic militant group that has wreaked havoc across a whole whole wide area. So this is mostly special forces. So it's not large numbers of U.S. conventional troops um, training, advising uh, a lot of these governments, which, which, as you might imagine, are not very well equipped don't have a lot of training, don't know how to deal with this. Niger is twice the size of Texas, so it is massive. I mean, it's this massive mm, desert, l- desert no-man's land um, yeah. where, you know, it's very easy for these militant groups to sort of burrow in there and, and basically kind of rule these large areas. So in this case, early this month, these Green Berets from the 3rd Army Special Forces Group in Niger were out on a... It's not really clear, a patrol, a training mission, some sort of operation where they were ambushed by what the Pentagon thinks were up to 50 fighters linked to the Islamic State or, or this, this group calling itself the Islamic State in the Sahara. Um, so, yes, this has been going on for a number of years. This is not something that Trump started. This was right. well underway under the Obama administration. However, in the last few months, we've seen a fairly significant increase in the number of U.S. troops that are going to some of these very remote bases. Um, you know, some figures are it's over 1,000, maybe as high as 1,500. And these, again, are special forces, but increasingly they are support troops that are flying drones, um, other um, surveillance aircraft. So, you know, this has kind of crept up a little bit. As somebody pointed out to me, there's there's far more troops in, in Africa than there are in Syria. Syria, we only have maybe five or 600 hmm. um, operating in there fighting ISIS. So... Uh, you know, and, and so I think there's a lot more scrutiny on this Correct. now that these U.S. troops have been right. killed. Uh, and and we're talking about several countries in Africa, of course. But but um, so the number that I saw is uh, that President Obama introduced the, the first troops into Niger, a, a, a hundred back in 2013. Uh, so today, the number I've seen is 800. Maybe it's a thousand, but 800 in Niger. Yeah, I think eight, 800 so, is what the Pentagon says. Um, who made that decision? Was this uh, Congress? Was this the president himself? Is it just the defense secretary? I mean, that's a pretty big 
escalation of the our presence there? Well, you know, it's a good question. I think it also Who's demonstrates <laughs> it, well, it demonstrates to some extent the extent to which Trump has ceded a lot of new authority to his military commanders. You know, earlier in his administration he talked about taking the the gloves off, letting them do what they think they need to do to fight these groups. And so I think it's uh as a lot of people I've talked to in the past, you know, week or so, including on on Capitol Hill, this has kind of been on autopilot. Um that these numbers have crept up mainly because, you know, the commander in the region, the head of U.S. Africa Command, AFRICOM, as they call it, uh, which is based in Stuttgart, Germany, has, you know, requested additional forces to do this job. And um, certainly Mattis has signed off on these troop deployments. Whether the president has been knowledgeable of it or not, it's not really clear. Um, but again, I think the president, you know, from the beginning said, I'm going to let my commanders kind of do their thing and I'm not going to hamstring them. No role for Congress. There was a lot of, you know, criticism that Obama was micromanaging every mm-hmm. boot on the ground in every little place. Um, right. Congress, I think, you know, the oversight committees have certainly been been kept abreast of this, but there hasn't been a lot of hearings there. Um, you know, even some members of these committees, the armed services committees will say, uh, I think it was Senator Jack Reed who said yesterday that um, there hasn't been enough oversight. There hasn't been enough information flow from the administration to Congress about what we're doing, why we're doing it. And I think there's real concern that there's no real overarching strategy here. It's sort of this, like I said, ad hoc autopilot approach where we need a few more troops here. We need to train this new Nigerian battalion. So let's send a bunch of other guys. And I think as Mattis said yesterday, I don't think they expected that this was going to be the level of danger that, that we're seeing. In other words, obviously it's a dangerous place. We know that, but these troops were were operating in a way that that you know they, it wasn't really expected that they would come under you know under fire, that they would come into contact with these bad guys. And, and so I think you know there's a lot of questions to be answered. Nobody really yeah. knows what happened and how it happened. Uh, General Mattis yesterday, uh, Defense Secretary Mattis yesterday, talked about uh, the fact that um, that that. They're, they're in harm's way doing a tough job. It's a reality. It's part of the danger that our troops face in these counter-terrorist campaigns. But remember, we do these kinds of missions by, with, and through allies. Uh, it is often dangerous. We recognize that. You know, the, two, two things that you mentioned. <clears throat> you mentioned how this just crept up on us and also how we still don't know exactly what happened. I mean... I I don't remember when it started, but, like, just not having a real clear idea of what the United States military is up to. Like, you know, we, we when we went to Iraq the first time under George H.W. Bush, it was a big deal because that was, you know, us getting into a, essentially a war. And it, like as a country, we were just like, oh, my God, OK, here we go. And now and I'm not necessarily blaming Donald Trump for this. It's just sort of the way no, that we didn't start under him. It didn't start under him. It's just sort of the way that we've become is we just sort of fling them far and wide. And we really don't have a ton of accountability for what happens once they get there. Yeah. Well, I, I, got, got. I was going to say, I think it's also it's a little bit unique um, compared to, say, the Iraq invasion or what we're doing now in Iraq and Syria. Because these are mostly, you know, the the snake eaters, as they call them, the special forces guys who kind of operate in the shadows. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, they're not just in Africa. I mean, they're all yeah. over the place. Yeah. The Green Berets, uh, the Delta Force, 
the SEALs, the Navy SEALs. I mean, they're in lots of places from the Philippines to Indonesia, you know, in, in relatively small numbers doing these kinds of training and assist missions. And, and, you know, we mostly never hear about them because, you know, they don't want us to. Right. And for the most part, these things go fairly fairly as planned. In other words, we don't see a lot of casualties on I, our side. I, I sometimes get the feeling that we use this euphemism, special forces, as a way of starting wars unofficially, if you will, and getting out from under any idea that there would be a constitutional mandate that Congress had to approve this. So hasn't Congress kind of, first of all, they've abdicated, they've abdicated their declaration of war responsibility ever since World War II, right? But um, in, in this case, haven't they sort of given a, put a whole like special category? If it's in this box, special forces, then they can do whatever the hell they want, go wherever they want on whatever mission. I think that's true. I mean, the, the president, you know, has a lot of leeway in, in sending these troops into these places. You know, he does, President Trump, President Obama before him, does yeah. have a requirement to inform Congress mm-hmm. uh, periodically after um, the, under the War Powers Act. After the fact. <laughs> after the fact. But, you yeah, know, under the War right. Powers Act, I mean, these letters do go up to Congress. They are made right. public. Uh, they mm-hmm. come across my email every number of months. You know, dear Congress, you know, here's the update. <laughs> We have, you know, yeah. some rough number of these troops here and these troops there. And so it's not like, you know, this is somehow kept secret. I think I think part of it is, um, is again, a sort of lack of wherewithal in Congress to really hold public hearings, to ask tougher questions. You know, yeah. the other thing that this brings up, um, and I hadn't even thought of this until now, but, you know, there's been a lot of debate and a lot of hand-wringing over uh, the fact that a lot of these missions have been justified under the authorization for the use of military yes, force AUMF. passed after 9-11, the AUMF, Correct. which has never been updated. And, you know, I think this is sort of a textbook case of why that document, why that congressional authorization needs to be revised. Because after yeah. 9-11, nobody conceived of 1,500 American troops in the Sahel region of Africa, literally in Timbuktu, which is right. I yeah. re- relearned is the capital of Mali, mm-hmm. where, where we've been operating against oh, some geez. of these terrorist groups. Um, so, you know, American troops have, are in Timbuktu under the guise of an authority that Congress passed, you know, 16 years ago uh, that never conceived of, of being in all these different places, fighting all these terrorist groups that we basically never heard of. I just, by the way, we're trying to remember the name of it. I, something like the crazy librarians or the the bold or badass librarians of Timbuktu or something. It's about how... Um, they've saved the manuscripts when Timbuktu came under the insurgents took over Timbuktu for quite some time and they, and librarians there from all these villages saved these very very precious and sacred and old manuscripts uh, um, from the insurgents who were just going around destroying anything cultural kind of at all it's a wonderful little book about that area and and and, and the total chaos that, that enveloped it. But so I want to come back to this two two questions about this group. First of all, are these these Islamic militants, right? Are these really ISIS or al-Qaeda people? I'm not saying they're not dangerous, but are they rebels who are trying to take over that government? I mean, are we getting involved in a in a civil war or are we get is this part of the global terrorist threat or do we know? I think it's a good question. I mean, um you know, the the intelligence people, at least what we know publicly, 
believe that this group responsible for killing these four U.S. troops uh, are somehow aligned with ISIS. They've they've pledged allegiance to ISIS. ISIS has sort of acknowledged that in their media arm that, hey, we have this franchise now over here. Um, but it's not clear, you know, to the extent to which these groups pledge this allegiance because I think it helps put them on the map. Right, right. Um, but... But yeah, a lot of these groups have, are, are, are drawn from groups of people that have been in these countries for a long time and have their yeah. normal grievances against the government. Uh, you know, I think they are, you know, Islamic militants in the sense that they want to spread some sort of Islamic theocracy to these parts of the world. Um, and then I think some of them do benefit from, you know, the foreign fighters, as they call them. In other words, not locals, but those who come in from yeah. Libya, Algeria, yeah. maybe even as far as, as the Middle East who maybe have some battlefield experience and can kind of be mentors to them. Um, but, you know, get, getting back to why why we're paying attention to this now and, and the question of whether there's been enough oversight of it, I think part of it, too, is... Is, is it's not easy, like for us in the media, for example, to cover these conflicts. Mm. I mean, you can't embed with special forces very easily, number one. Number know, two, Brian, this there is are, the, There are flights to Timbuktu. You can there there are flights. You but, you know, I, I, I'm sure your <laughs> editors at uh, uh, Politico will let you <laughs> oh, yeah. buy you a ticket. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, but, but, but even, a, even, a, um, even something as basic as, as a CODEL, a congressional delegation. Yeah. Mem- mem- members of Congress hitch up with the Pentagon and go downrange, as they call it. They'll go to Baghdad. They'll go to yeah. other far-flung places where U.S. troops are, get briefings, see yeah. see some of it up close. It's not easy to get to these They're places. not going to South Sudan. They're not going to South Sudan. They're not going to Niger, probably. No. I mean, no. these are very remote places. Yeah. I mean, it could be, you know, almost be easier to go to the far side of the moon right. to get a briefing on right. what's going on here. So the other question is about the mission. I mean, I think David Martin at, the C- at CBS is... One of the best, if not the best, defense He's the dean of the Pentagon Press Corps. No, he really is, sure. yeah. And, and he did a report on this um, mission. And according to his reporting, as I recall, that this this area, maybe the, maybe not exactly these four guys, but our special forces, had patrolled this area 29 different times, never encountered anybody. And that this one, they were told in their memo, like, here's where we're going, but don't expect, basically, don't expect anything, nothing, you know. We don't. We didn't expect that you would encounter anybody, and here they are ambushed by fifty guys, and and that there was no overhead, there were no planes overhead because they didn't expect anything to happen, so they didn't have, you know, planes that could come in right away and bomb the other guys, and it took them, I don't know, I don't know how long to get the helicopter in to retrieve the bodies. Um, Sergeant La David Johnson's body wasn't retrieved for a couple of days later. I mean, was this a botched mission? I, mean, I think that's one of the questions that I think John McCain wants to get at. Uh, when he says there's unanswered questions and maybe he needs to subpoena administration officials to get more answers. I think the jury's out on that. I mean, I'm I'm not so sure. I mean, like I said, these are special forces that are trained uh, and are used to operating pretty uh, remotely, pretty far from any sort of big base, any support troops. Um, and, you know, somebody I talked to in the Pentagon yesterday pointed out that, you know, even if you had a million drones flying over there, I mean, again, this is a vast wasteland, unless you know what you're looking for. Right. It's not like you're just going to pick up, hey, there's 50 guys over it there. It just you know, seemed that they didn't they have the backup that they should have had. Um, and that's, again, that's looking in the rearview mirror. And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they had to rely on the French. 
to extract yeah, French Mirage um, jets were the first ones to get in. These guys, and then yeah. apparently private contractors retrieved the body of, of Sergeant Johnson. It wasn't oh. even military personnel. The Pentagon revealed that yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they are operating kind of on a shoestring out there. But I will say that, you know, the increase in troops in Niger specifically has been intelligence and uh, surveillance aircraft. So, I mean, there has been a, a, an increase in that kind of equipment because they do clearly want a better picture of what's out there. And, and that, that, that's why the, the drone crews have been going there in larger numbers. Uh, but, and, and so, meanwhile, Yemen, what are we doing there? Well, Yemen, we're mostly same kind of operation. I mean, we're we're doing a couple things in Yemen. We're doing a very similar type of, you know, advise and assist or or counterterrorism training program there. But we're also, of course, you know, providing lots of bombs to the Saudis, who are, you know, actively engaged in a bombing campaign against these Houthi rebels. And I think that's that's one of the bigger concerns is that you know we are. Fueling this war, which you know effectively is a civil war with yeah, Yemen, yeah, yeah. Saudi Arabia, which has gone to war in Yemen, I forget how many times over the years, is obviously picked aside. Um, but yeah, we have a, a similar counterterrorism mission there. And like I said, it's not just Yemen; it's not just Africa; it's it's all over the place. In fact, one of the things we're trying to do in Politico is is from open sources and talking to people on the inside to try and get as best of a picture as we can of where is the U.S. military. Mm. And what are they doing? Uh, because I don't uh, think that, that, that you think, can find it in onesies and twosies. I think that's something the American people have a right to know. I think it would be great. It's public service. You could just publish a map. Well, yeah, right? I'm not sure why the Pentagon doesn't put it out. I mean, Congress should require them to you know, monthly put out a map. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to give us absolutely. all the details of what they're doing and exactly where they are. Yeah. But, you know, they're in this country, and here's the general... Uh, uh, I would think Congress would want that kind of a map. All right, so um, we've taken Raqqa, have we? In Is um, ISIS out of Syria? I'm not sure we've taken it. Somebody's taken Somebody's it. Somebody's taken it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, the... forces or whatever. Yeah, I mean, these Syrian democratic forces, uh, uh, this sort of ragtag group of democratic allies, as we call them, have... Uh, taken Raqqa with our help, a lot of our help, mostly from the air, but also on the ground. Um, and, you know, to be continued, I think. I mean, it's clearly a victory. There's no doubt that this was the headquarters of their self-declared caliphate. Um, it, A lot of their mojo has come from this mm-hmm. idea that they took over a huge swath of territory uh, in a way that other terrorist groups never could. And so I think it eats into their narrative in a big way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as everybody has said, and it's been widely reported, this doesn't end ISIS. It just, you know, ISIS evolves into some new version. Uh, there's still fighting to be done in Syria, I think. I mean, there are other towns along the Euphrates River Valley where they still have pretty heavy contingents of, of their followers, their troops. Um, but they've lost their big source of money. I mean, the oil fields, which generated a lot of revenue for them. So there's no doubt there, you know, I think, as somebody said the other day, it's it's the end of the, it's, what is it? The, it's the end of the beginning, but it's not the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, this was a big victory, but, you know, we're not going to catch all these guys. Well, it's, it's ominous. 
That is ominous. <laughs> it seems to me there are two kind of um, uh, ways that ISIS could go, I guess, right, or two manifestations of ISIS. One is the caliphate, the territory, this is us, our Sharia state. The other is the cells like we see in Belgium or like we see in France or like in the UK or cells or individuals uh, scattered, right, doing these terrorist operations. It seems that's, that's a more dangerous form of ISA than the caliphate. Well, it depends it? on your perspective. I mean, I think there's no doubt that all the, all the intelligence not, ana- analysis points to a period ahead in which we're going to see more attacks by ISIS because these you know all, these survivors like will flee over from yeah will flee you know and, and you know as as we know I mean some of these veteran fighters for ISIS in Syria and Iraq are Europeans yeah who you know right. came so they, to fight the good fight right so they go home so and, they'll go home um, maybe you know create a cell or plot some sort of attack um, there's going to be more presumably of these inspired attacks the lone wolf who you know has never been to Syria but uh, is taking orders somehow from them or or is inspired by them but I you know I think removing the caliphate removing this territory that they control does probably lower the chances of a a a, a large-scale well-planned out massive attack like 9/11 in other words they don't yeah. have this yeah. this uh home territory where they can plan and train and indoctrinate. Um, so it makes it a little harder, but 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 not impossible. But also um, cuts their funding, and so maybe they wouldn't be able to you know, s- s- send money to some of these groups around Western Europe or wherever, or wherever on the planet. So, but, 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 although you know, I don't know how much money they were sending, because some of these bombs, they were homemade bombs that were... Right, not that expensive to put together, and the, you know. The, but I think the real question going forward, and and I don't think anybody has a good answer for this, is what happens next in Syria. I mean, what what guarantee oh. is there that this will not just return? In, a, in other words, the the caliphate or some form of it won't be back because if if Syria is just a never ending civil war where there's no central government, there's no real stability in that country, and there's all these competing players Iran, Hezbollah, Assad, the Sunni extremists like ISIS, um, the poor Syrians caught in the middle. And obviously, we have no uh, desire to send another 100,000 troops into that part of the world and try to stabilize that place. Oh. And if we're not going to do it, maybe the Russians will try to do it, but that, that, that'll never turn out well. So, you know, I, I think, you know, what does Syria look like a year, two, three from now will have a lot of bearing on what does ISIS look like. Well, yeah. And there's another um, issue here, which which is what happens to the Kurds, right, who have really contributed greatly to what happened in Raqqa, right? Their force is all part of it. And they're feeling their oats. They're, they're feeling that they've earned their independence, if you will. Uh, and the Iraqis don't want anything to do with that, right? So uh, that's going to have to be resolved now soon, too. And the Turks don't want anything to do with Kurdish independence. And so that's for a while, I think people have looked the other way because the Kurds have been so helpful. Right. Now? Well, the Kurds have you know, spent a lot of blood yeah. in this fight, yeah. and they want yeah. something for it. And right. they right. just lost uh, Kirkuk. Uh, you know, which is a, mm-hmm. an oil-rich part of northern Iraq. And they lost mainly, I was reading this morning, because of M1 Abrams tanks 
that the U.S. gave the Iraqi army, which was apparently the the deciding mm. factor in the battle. They just couldn't they couldn't um, compete with that. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's listen, it's it's no big secret. It's a mess. Yeah, and there's no there's no real solution. Well, thanks for all your good news this morning. Uh, I was going to say, every time you guys have me on, it's, you know. Black cloud bender. <laughs> We're going to start calling it, though. Well, uh, no, but we want to know because I think it's really important yeah. to know what's going on and where we are. Even if we don't have all the answers. Yeah, I mean, these you guys know, and gals are fighting in our name. Yes, they are. They're fighting right? for us, and, that, and we should at least know what the hell they're up to. I want to, don't, don't, don't give up that push for a map of where all the U.S. armed forces are right now, right? That's Politico making great on it. That, that's a Pulitzer Prize winner there, so go for it. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. It's Politico.com. And Code Pink, the great Code Pink celebrating its 15th anniversary. They've been raising hell for 15 years, and they'll raise a little more hell here in studio coming up next on the Bill Press Show. The dog can bark at the moon all night long, but it doesn't become an issue until the moon barks back. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yes, here we go now on this Friday, October 20. Winding up uh, the week and winding up today's show uh, with a little celebration here in studio. Uh, it was 15 years ago. Uh, the Code Pink arrived on the scene. Code Pink founded by, if I got it right, Medea Benjamin and uh, Jody Evans. I still think of her as Jody Krajewski. Thank you, oh, Jody Evans. That was a long what time a ago. Long time ago. Uh, Jody <laughs> Evans, and they have been going strong uh, ever since. Co-founder Medea Benjamin in studio with us with uh, Haley Peterson, who uh, you weren't around 15 years ago, I guess, uh, in the beginning, right? But <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't around then. <laughs> right. I mean, you were around, addition. but you were <laughs> right. not part of uh, part of Code Pink. <laughs> so it's good to see you all. Why? What was the? Uh, tell us about the beginning of Code Pink. Why? Why did you get started? For what purpose? Well, remember, Bill, there was somebody in power called George Bush, and he wanted to take us into a war. Well, first Afghanistan and then Iraq, and Iraq war that had nothing to do with 9-11. You remember those days, right? I do indeed, <laughs> and I remember those protests here in Washington That's that you right. helped organize, right? We did, yeah. and we were part of this massive civil resistance at that time that organized so quickly. When I look back at those days, I, I remember we did about eight protests that had over 100,000 people at them. I mean, we had enormous protests. The ones on I marched the, in, Carol and I marched in several of those. I yeah. remember seeing and, you were leading, helping lead the. And, and it was a large coalition of lots of different groups, and Code Pink was just one of them. But we figured we would do our job as citizens. We would organize and we would stop George Bush from invading Iraq, and then we would all go back to the other important work that we were doing. And here we are 15 years later. So we celebrate, you know, hanging around for 15 years, but we don't celebrate that we're still in these damn wars after all these years. Well, we were just talking with Brian Bender from Politico about the fact we learned this week Maybe some of us learned for the very first time. I don't know whether you would call it a war, but we have military operations throughout Africa, not just Af Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, 
but throughout Africa, including Niger. Well, that's right. And uh, most Americans don't know we have over 800 U.S. bases around the world. And so when you have U.S. bases, you have U.S. personnel. But these U.S. personnel also go off the bases and they have commandos and they have special operations. And, you know, it's interesting to see the comments of John McCain saying, well, I want to know, you know, where they are and what they're doing. Well, you know, you could be pretty. <laughs> that's, well, a, that's a remarkable John McCain impression. I gotta, I gotta say, I'm sorry. Thank you. Sort of, yeah, pretty good. But we know they're all over the place, and that's the reason that Haley has come on board to lead this campaign. Because at some point, we have to say, all right, what is driving all of this? You know, these endless wars, these endless bases, and. One of the things is the old military-industrial complex that good old Dwight Eisenhower warned us about in 1961 and that has only gotten way, way, way more powerful since then. And what can we do about it, Haley? We or can. what are you trying to do about it? Yeah. So what we are working on right now is a divestment campaign uh, targeting defense contractors, military contractors. Uh, so sort of in the tradition of the anti-apartheid divestment movement uh, back in the 80s, as well as the ongoing fossil fuel divestment movement, uh, we want to now uh, transfer that into a sort of anti-war perspective and uh, get our financial institutions, so our schools, our churches, our cities, our states to divest their assets from uh, weapons manufacturers. So no more defense contractor stocks? Is that Exactly, right? yes. It would mean removing all invested assets. Yeah. Right. And individual uh, investors can get involved also. Right. How, how, do you, how, do, how do people go about that? I mean, because um, uh, let, let's face it, most people, if they do have any stocks at all, they're through mutual funds these days. I mean, there are very few people, I think, who, who, who pick, you know, right. get, get the <laughs> list out at the, in the New York Times and go through the stocks and pick a stock here or there. They just buy a mutual fund. Let the mutual fund manager decide. Exactly. And that's where the problem lies. I mean, that's how uh, these stocks yeah. are enabled to be hidden in people's portfolios. Absolutely. And so uh, the way that people go about this is choosing a target, uh, building a power base, so organizing and getting together with other people who also um, are invested in this mutual fund and applying pressure at the highest level possible. So getting in touch with those in, in charge of uh, making the financial decisions and pressuring them to uh, get those stocks out of there. And it's it's successful. It's a very successful tactic. I mean, the fossil fuel divestment movement has seen over $6 trillion removed from fossil fuel companies. Uh, so we definitely want to transfer some of that success and now expand that movement um, to include defense contractors. So people tell their fund... Let, let's talk about individuals first, then we'll get to institutions. People can do something in the sense that they can tell if they do have a mutual fund and, and they buy it through some broker or something, they can say, hey, make sure that we don't have any money in defense stocks, right? Well, sure. There's socially responsible screens for all of this. And a lot of them now have screened out the uh, oil companies. They've screened out uh, some of them. There's There have been successful campaigns now around private prisons. And we're saying we have to add a screen that's around uh, weapons producers. And we're looking particularly at the big five at Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, uh, Boeing, Raytheon, and General Dynamics. And <laughs> there are a lot more than those, but those are the real big yeah. ones. Um, so, yes, you can say I want to screen out the companies that make a significant portion of their profits from production. But you make another good point, which is there are, uh, in terms of fund managers and people, all these, all these financial firms, there are socially responsible firms that are, that identify themselves as socially responsible. 
for example, they so they wouldn't buy any tobacco stocks, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. Or pet, uh, fossil fuel stocks as part of their portfolio, right? right? And right. Um, and others, uh, maybe private prisons. I hadn't heard about that one before, mm-hmm. but also some environmentally bad companies, right? Or now defense defense contractors, which we call military contractors. Military we contractors. Don't think really Th- defending you. us. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Uh, particularly the big five, right? Yeah, and and we think it's but, not, part of this campaign is, you know, Bill, these campaigns are really meant to shine a light on the issues. They're meant to cause controversy. They're meant to bring uh, the debate to the forefront. So when you go to the highest levels of a, of a church group, for example, and you're trying to get them to divest, I mean, the Pope has been very clear that the weapons industry is an industry of a death machine. And he said we shouldn't be in silent in front of this industry that profits from death. So we want to go to those Catholic institutions, and we want to go up as high as we can to those Catholic institutions and say, are you invested in the death machine? And it, w- and it will be are, very we're controversial. Gonna tell, we're going to tell Pope The Pope, Francis. we're going to tell <laughs> on you. Yeah, yeah. And then we want to go to cities and we want to mm-hmm. pass resolutions and say, uh, we do not want our city to be invested in a company that only profits if there is continuing war and mayhem uh, going on around the world. And we also think it's important, and maybe Haley could talk a little more about this, about how we relate it to the militarization of our police departments in the United States. Oh, yeah, right. Mm, which is extremely key right now uh, because after what happened in Ferguson in 2014, Obama replied to some restrictions on the Pentagon's 1033 program, which allows the transfer of military-grade weapons and equipment to uh, domestic police forces. And um, so that in 2015, Obama blocked the, the transfer of things like tanks and camo gear um, and high-caliber weapons. Uh, but then Trump has recently said that he's going to rescind those restrictions. But since the 90s, uh, over $5 billion worth of military-grade weapons and equipment have been transferred to U.S. police forces. Yeah, and... Um, it's remarkable. It's, re- I remember, it's, just, it's horrendous. You know, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. But I remember like during Ferguson... We saw these officers oh, yeah. and this know, military know. gear, and I, I saw there was um, one one soldier who had gone to Iraq. It's like these guys are better outfitted than we were going mm-hmm. to Iraq. Yeah, and they're it, in the streets of an American city. Yeah, and the uh, controls for these transfers were so lax that one city that had twenty a population of twenty three thousand, they were able to get an armored tank because they said they needed to protect their annual pumpkin festival from the possibility of a terrorist attack. Jesus. And so the, the regulations were extremely lax. And then what's resulted from that is SWAT teams being used for just basic drug searches. And, um, of course, the targets of this militarized police force are more oft, most often people of color. And when those SWAT teams were used, 50% of the time the targets were people of color, whereas 20% of the time they were uh, white people. And another important thing to know with all of these transfers is that 36% of what's been transferred under the 1033 program is new. It's new weapons and equipment. Oh, really? No, new, supposedly, it's supposedly, I thought the old stuff, right? It's, it's supposed surplus. to be. Yeah. It's supposed to be surplus, exactly. Um, but 36%, so over a third of what has been transferred has been new weapons and equipment, showing that we already have an excess of, wep- of weaponry and equipment that we are continuously spending billions of our tax dollars on. So there's already in excess, and it's leading to the militarization of our police forces and uh, the militarization of our streets. Yeah. And wait, what we didn't say in that program is it's free. Yeah. It's free, all this stuff. You don't have to pay for it. Your local police department can get these assault weapons, can it's get free. the... It's free. 
It's free. It's given to you from the Pentagon. But you have to use it within a particular period of time, or else it could be taken away. Or, or else they take it back. Yeah, it's a use it or lose it. God, so you have to what? prove that you need but, it. By but but you it. you know you don't have to scratch very hard beneath the surface to recognize that this is a boon to the industry that wants to get of rid, course. wants yeah. to sell as many weapons as it can. Um, to the Pentagon, and then the Pentagon is using them. Uh, the other thing we should say is that the U.S. is the supplier by far, the number one supplier to dictatorships uh, in terms of weapons around the world. Seventy-three percent of the dictatorships around the world are being supplied with weapons by the United States. So these weapons manufacturers have Saudi no compunction. That includes Saudi Arabia. Saudi Absolutely. Arabia, Egypt, you know, have they, they have no compunction about who is going to use the weapons and how they're going to be used. Are we the biggest arms supplier in the, on the planet? Of course, by far, by far. And you brought up Saudi Arabia, but you you know you look at just that one example. That's the largest purchaser of U.S. weapons, and look at what they've done with those weapons in Yemen. It's absolutely criminal, and it's so sad, Bill, that there's so little light being shined on what is happening to the people of Yemen and you how went to these Yemen are. Recently, yes, I've been you? to Yemen, and a beautiful old culture that's being so destroyed now, uh, being uh, bombed daily by U.S. bombs. And we want to say this is Lockheed Martin that's getting rich off of this. Let's point something. You know, Lockheed Martin, uh, they broke the glass ceiling and has a women's CEO. And uh, it's so there great that, yeah, mm-hmm. isn't this a great advance for women? Well, I'd love to take uh, Marilyn, the head of uh, Lockheed Martin, to Yemen sometime to see how her products are being used uh, to create a situation that they call a, a, a famine of biblical proportions right now. Uh, I want to go back to the to the investment campaign for just a second. Divestment. To point, divestment. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> to, to to point out one other thing is that we talked about individuals, and you mm-hmm. mentioned the Catholic Church, which gets to my point is that by far the majority of these investments are controlled by big institutions like mm-hmm. pension funds. I think the largest is Calpers mm-hmm. uh, in California, public employee retirement system. I mean, it's billions and billions of dollars that they're investing every day, right? Mm -hmm. That's where your big chunks of money go. And, you know, how do you you influence those? And there may be other big union pension funds, big employees, citywide, city pension funds, the whole thing. That's where you've got, you got to get. I mean, are you looking at that as well in terms of yeah absolutely um and the way that you get change in the in uh, for large pension funds is a large scale unified persistent campaigns uh, which is what we are working on developing and, and we also and what you're good at too yeah <laughs> yeah it's only the beginning and we're learning from the best uh tomorrow we are hosting a campaign summit and we're bringing together foreign policy experts, voices from the military, as well as divestment experts. So people who have done this before and done this in the recent past to teach us what it takes to build a truly successful divestment movement. Um, but just building off of what Medea was saying, uh, Congress has sort of consistently proven that there isn't really a red line for them. There's not really a boundary that the military can uh, pass where they, when they'll start taking some action to reel in this war machine. So this divestment campaign is a way for us to take the power into our own hands and actually just to utilize the power we already have. Because as taxpayers, we own this war machine. And a divestment campaign enables us to channel our energies and channel our focus and actually use that power and 
put it towards a targeted action, which is getting our financial institutions to pull out of these military contractors. What is your uh, website? So it's codepink.org, codepink. and tomorrow we will be okay. at the uh, UDC, University of the District of Columbia Law School, which is right at the metro station at UDC from 9 to 5, with a fascinating day-long activities, um, starting out with a, a woman who lost her daughter to a, a SWAT team here um, that, with assault weapons, riddled the car that her daughter was in um, to bring it back home, that these are real individuals who are getting killed by these uh, and then um, a, a day of looking at, um, as Haley said, the other uh, campaigns that have been done in areas like the fossil fuels, um, as well as people who've been working on conversion. What are, what are the workers going to do if they're not producing these weapons? And um, what else do we have, Haley? Uh, we have people from the nuclear, the anti-nuclear weapons producer movement is gaining a lot of traction right now. Uh, there's a campaign called Don't Bank on the Bomb, which focuses particularly on anti or on uh, nuclear weapons developers. And we are working with them to get that campaign uh, going. Which in the is United particularly States. relevant right now when Donald Trump says we need to have 10 times as many nuclear weapons as we, as we currently have, right? And when the world community has done a treaty to ban nuclear weapons. And uh, when there also is a wonderful group that just won the Nobel Peace Prize that also is shining a light on the efforts to reduce nuclear weapons. So we think it's a great time to be going into communities and getting your cities and uh, institutions to be saying we're not going to invest in companies that are producing nuclear weapons. And Donald Trump going in the opposite direction. Now, although now he denies that he said we have to uh, increase our arsenal by Ten times. But let's but, not right. just blame Donald Trump. It was under Obama that the $1 trillion over the next 10 years was allocated to modernize our modernize, nuclear weapons. Modernize, yeah. Which goes, you know, as such is in the exact opposite direction of what the Non-Proliferation Treaty said. And I think it's terrible uh, for any country to have a nuclear weapon. I certainly don't want uh, uh, Iran to have nuclear weapons. But when you see Nor them being grilled, yes, the way they are, I don't know why they don't say, what about Israel that has hundreds of nuclear weapons and is not part of any treaty, doesn't allow any inspections? And what about the United States not abiding by its obligations to seriously get rid of its 6,800 nuclear warheads that it Now, has. we see you in Washington, D.C. often uh, at the Congress and, and other events around the city, but there, uh, I'm just thinking about all of our viewers and listeners all across the country, there there are Code Pink chapters in other cities, other parts of the country. So if people want to plug in, I'm, I'm getting to, in your campaign and help out any way they can, go to CodePink.org and they can connect, right, with, with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And, and they can watch a live stream of the event all day tomorrow. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Yes, and right. they can uh, sign up to be part of an action team for this campaign and go to their local city, wherever it is, and bring a resolution that we have drafted for them uh, to their city council. For well, This is uh, the new divestment campaign at Code Pink. Again, it's codepink.org. So uh, have you kept any record, uh, Medea Benjamin, of how many times you've been arrested? I think you ask me this. <laughs> right. I, 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 and I should probably say it's one more than the last time I saw you. <laughs> All right. I always, I'm always intrigued by that. Yeah, because you put yourself on the line there so many times. Right. I, I do have quite a long record, <laughs> but it's all for good things. Yeah, right. Uh, and that's all for good causes, yeah. right? You haven't been arrested for doing anything bad. 
Not since just. I was about 13, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a rebel from a young age. Uh, yes. How about you, Haley? <clears throat> I've never been arrested. I'm quite new to Code Pink. Oh. You know, a lot of the younger people don't want to get arrested. A lot of them have loans that they're still repaying or have different options perhaps in their careers that getting arrested <laughs> might be a bigger thing about this, you know, in this day and age than uh, it has been in the past. So we're finding we have to, um, uh, th that we have to get people back sort of into that tradition that um, uh, the the song where, it, we're, oh, we're also having a party Saturday night at Busboys and Poets. And the woman <laughs> who wrote the great song, Have You Been to Jail for Justice?, uh, is going to come and sing the song. Which you can get I arrested love. at the party, Haley. That's what <laughs> you want to I've been arrested at a party or two. It's a good enough two. party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, I, I, yeah, and I feel very in, inadequate and insecure and, um, and, and I don't know, I'm sort of ashamed of the fact that I haven't been arrested Well, you either. have no excuse, and I'm a Billy. Come have a party Saturday. Loans. Yeah. I think your student loans have long been repaid. <laughs> <laughs> they have. And, uh, you know, we, it, 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 we this is sort of a tradition here at the show. I mean, um, President J. David Cox from the uh, American Federation of Government Employees, the president, was sitting here one day, and he told us he was leaving here to go to the United States Capitol uh, and get arrested. I mean, see, those are planned arrests, and that's cool. But you know, we we kind of like the more spontaneous ones. But I mean, he yeah, but he accepted that he knew he was going uh -huh. to go, and he, and then Ben and Jerry, the famous yeah, Ben and Jerry, were here one morning and said, "So what's next?" I said, "Well, we're going to go get arrested." And I mean, it's like, what is this? I is hope a, it's not a tradition. Are we getting arrested after this? We <laughs> <laughs> um, well, got some good news. The Bill, police are I, waiting I, outside for both <laughs> Haley and Bill. You've never been arrested I'm before. Everything. First time for everything. <laughs> what about you, Peter? Oh, I've been arrested. Oh, yeah, I've been for arrested. Good things? Yeah, but not for good. Not 